Hello, our beloved parishioners. Thank you for tuning in for this week's bonus content. I've um, got a couple things to talk to you about. I'm going to start out this episode. We talked a lot about priestly fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, okay, to be fair, I mean, this thing sounds nuts, right? It's like a checkered coat and gold breastplate and all these precious jewels on it and then a headband and a turban and a sash and also animal blood and stuff like that. Um, however, to be fair, if you do think about it, like priestly fashion across a wide variety of traditions is pretty bonkers right I, i'll have to think about a catholic priest for it. well i guess yeah like the uh what the catholic priests wear think about the pope look at the think of the pope, the pope. hat yes. yeah that's hat. true that's a good point you know yeah i think that when you think about that kind of stuff comparatively this whole yeah. the whole uh, israelite priest thing doesn't seem that nutso i'm going to start out though by screen sharing with you okay some artist depictions of these holy garments that were described in the in the book here oh, can y'all wow. see what i'm oh, seeing yeah yeah, nice. yeah. Wow. so it's definitely kind of the typical like very long undershirt kind of dressish masculine dress kind of thing that we're uh-huh, used to thinking uh-huh. about in the Old Testament, but with like the most blinged out, fantabulous apron possible that you could think of. Yes. I see the, the it does look a lot like an apron. It does. Oh yeah, yes. you see all the gems for the gold, all the well, tribes? No, I see, uh-huh. yes, I see the gems, but also the golden bell and the pomegranates. Oh, right. Yes, the bells and the pomegranates, you know, <laughs> one of each. Golden bell, pomegranate, infinitum. golden bell, pomegranate, pomegranate yes. and exactly. so on <laughs> Is this Aaron? Is this who we're looking at? Aaron. Well, Aaron was the first, but the idea being that it's like over the course of many, many generations, this costume and the duties of being a priest are going to be handed down forever, basically. Oh, here's an artist's depictions of the priest being consecrated. There's all these like strappy boys uh, without a shirt on, but they're getting dressed. But they're wearing that underwear that God described that goes all the way down to their thighs. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's like, please wear underwear. Please. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So it is really interesting. Wait, did God invent boxer briefs? I think that's <gasps> that what just does happened. seem to be what this image is suggesting to us, isn't it? Because it, it does look like they're just wearing some like white boxer briefs, really. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Interesting. I like, it. I like it very much. So, okay. So separate from all this, Emily, I was just curious to know, Please. separate from the priestly garments, when you think about Old Testament fashion or biblical fashion, what comes to mind? Oh, I thought that they would be in like browns and, and maybe, maybe topes. Not, not, <laughs> but I mean, not sure. This. Like, I didn't expect this. I kind of, there's a couple images here that have people in turbans and in, you know, long kind of linen-y outfits that look like they would be very cool against the hot desert sun. Mm, yeah. But I yes. didn't expect that at all. And, and so much detail, God. God, you gave a lot of detail. And I guess... Well, okay. I guess we had to, but here we are. But this... Okay, but this is for the special, the priests, right? The priests get to wear, like, the most fabulous garment, right? Because they're super special. So I was looking in, like, Brigham Young University has a straight-up manual... Really? ...for interpreting Old Testament clothing. 
that starts out with like, it has this whole list of like particular books that you can reference. And I'm not sure what this, who this manual is aimed at. I don't know if it's like whoever's making costumes for like the Christmas play or whatever. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But it's like this big list of like particular books that you can look at for reference images, but it also has some like costume renderings. The interesting thing that I learned is that there's actually not a lot of like source material depictions of Israelite clothing, but there's a lot from the the Assyrians and the Hittites and the Egyptians. They all actually have like art and source material that we can look at. And so we can kind of extrapolate huh. exactly what Whoa. they may have all been about essentially some of these are very interesting yeah very very interesting pictures well you know again a a lot of that like strappy little skirt kind of action that was so in for so long with with men yeah (laughs) Um, yeah but doesn't seem to be in anymore sadly yeah i don't know if jace you had this experience but like i know that when i was growing up in christian school and in church it's like anytime you put on a biblical play whether it was set in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it was literally like the same costumes. It's like literally the same. It's like made out of a sheet. Yeah, goes down to your toga ankles. Party. Yeah, totally. It's basically toga party. You wrap a thing around your waist. Maybe you put a cover on your head or something. But it's like literally like no it's matter where we are in the plain, Bible, it's the same. Though. Yeah, like I expected it to be more plain, but these are like garments of gold and and <laughs> jewels and blue and purple, like. Well, this again, is, for the priest. This was not what I... But be that yes. as it may, I mean, you know, you see Jesus and you see him always, like, in in garments of, of taupe, of, of nothing, of, well, like, very hang on, little. Though, because this is the thing I want to point out, is what always was strange to me is that, like, this history spans several hundreds of years over the course of the Bible, right? From the Old Testament to the sure. New Testament. It's several, it's several centuries. Yes. But our interpretation of the fashion is always literally the exact same. No, you're right. you're absolutely right. But that's true. If you think about the... like a hundred years of fashion, that's a pretty drastic change. But I'm sorry, the f- the fashion gets less ostentatious as time goes on. Well, but but I'm just wondering, like, I don't know, is that accurate? Was it just like these nomadic desert living people were like, this is what works for us, so we're going to keep it the same? Or is that us just putting our Western perspective of not knowing what the hell to dress people in for a Christmas play? (laughs) And so we just kind of dress them all in the same thing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Can you imagine Jesus in in pants? No. We've never seen a depiction of Jesus in pants. But maybe he wore pants. We don't know. He might have worn pants. He may have worn pants. Maybe he had some pants days. Isn't that so weird to imagine Jesus in pants? Yes. Yes, it right. is. I don't know. I'm kind of into it, though. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like I need to... I mean, to... I feel like he would still be in, like, an all-white linen suit. Sure, he'd still look like a hippie, but... Well, yeah, I mean, he was a hippie, right? I'm just Googling Jesus in pants. Nope, nothing good. <laughs> nothing, nothing good? good. Nope. <laughs> No. Can you just Google Jesus and see what comes up? Oh, just like images? Yeah. Okay, we're getting ahead of it's ourselves be in this all book, but typical. it's going to be, it's the usual. Oh, yeah, it's all white robes. Well, like blue a, sometimes. I don't know. Maybe that's just or the lighting. Sort of yellow. This one's red. Okay. But yeah, pretty basic. But he's wearing basic a dress colors. is basically what we're saying. It's a dress. Yeah. Big it's a muumu. Toga situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, there it is. <laughs> All right, was there anything else to well, talk about? Yeah, I just had to look up what the heck a heave offering is because <laughs> I can't that just even. killed me. 
it killed makes all me, of us. Before you explain what it actually okay, is, yeah, it makes yeah. me think of the water bottle challenge of like trying to heave this water bottle so that it flips and then lands. I don't know of what you speak. It's because you don't know any teenagers, and to be fair, neither do I, but... Yeah, you know, where you have like a half-filled bottle of water and you try to throw it so it flips and lands upright on a table. That's stupid. No, it's fun. Is it? Why am I the one defending this? I'm the oldest of the three of us. That's true. Well, I guess you're the youngest (laughs) in heart. Yeah, there you go. Wow. All right. Okay. So any guesses about how this heave offering word came to be? Because it's way more interesting than I thought it would be. Or way more different than I thought it would be. Did they throw things? Did they wave it and then throw it? Well, no. Okay, tell us then, please. <laughs> Basically, that it's sort of a translation issue. Oh, so okay. the a heave offering is teruma, is how it's said in Hebrew. Okay, is teruma, and teruma or terumah. I don't know how you say it. I'm sorry. It comes from the verb stem, which means high or to lift up. Okay, and so. The formation of the verb is parallel to the formation of, or I'm sorry, the formation of this noun, terima, is the same or like is parallel to the formation of the noun wave offering. So these both kind of came from a similar weird English trying to make these two things translate similar to each other because they had a similar structure to them, I guess, which comes from the verb stem to wave, whereas this one is to lift up. And apparently it tends to refer to something like lifting up a small part of something else okay as an offering what's interesting though is that i learned is that the word is usually used in a positive sense of an offering to god although it also has a negative meaning and is sometimes used for like graft or like bribery or like a dishonest oh. judge who takes gifts um oh, this word is also kind of used offering. in that context. Huh. Yeah. Like uh what do they call it? Like a sweetening the deal kind of offering or yeah. a buttering up offering. Interesting. A... Okay. Yeah. But specifically this teruma offering is restricted in Torah rules that it can only be eaten by priests, their families and their servants. Wow. And it can only be consumed while in a state of ritual purity, which I guess we kind of had described for us there. It's also known as like a great offering. So anyway, yeah, it really has nothing to do with throwing it at all. It's more just sort of a weird translation. Yeah, that's such a strange word to use for this. Yeah. What about the waving one? Is it what we think? Like kind of shaking it around or doing a baseball (laughs) wave? Let me see. I was going to look that one up, but what I wanted to say about heave offering Real quick, what's interesting about it is that in the Hebrew Bible, the term terumah, or a heave offering, is used 76 times. But in the Christian Bibles, it's generally translated as just offering, but sometimes a heave offering. Like in the King James, four times it's called a heave offering, Okay. even though that same word actually occurs many more times. It's just not always translated that way. Huh. So yeah, it's kind of a weird, weird thing with that. Let me see if I can see. Uh, let's see. The heave offering is, uh-huh. Both types of offerings occur together in Exodus and Leviticus from a sacrificed ram. Yeah. Oh, so you're telling me there's going to be more of these waving and heavings in oh, Leviticus yeah. as well? Wave offerings and oh, heave boy. offerings. We're not done with those. I'm okay. sure we're not. Yeah, I guess, let's see. An omer offering is what the, the wave offering. It's also called a sheaf offering. So again, it's this weird sort of translation thing where like it comes from this root verb to wave, but like may not actually have anything to do with waving. It may just be more Uh. like 
denoting a particular type of offering. Jeez. Um, yeah. So anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting. Just like what a difficult challenge. I'm I'm thinking of like people who are contemporary translators of the Bible because there's still people who go back to like the Hebrew texts mm-hmm. and do their best to kind of retranslate and kind of come up with new versions and. I'm sure it's really fun for like figuring out the story, like, you know, the more exciting stories. But then when you get to this stuff where it's like wave oh, offering, gosh. heave offering, yeah, just doing the best thing you possibly can and breastplates of judgment and stuff like that. Like it's just really difficult as a translator. I Absolutely. feel dealing with a really, really ancient version of a language. I can imagine. And you have to be like, am I going to be the one person who rocks the boat and tries to call this something mm. else? Or do I just stick mm-hmm. with heave offering because that's what everyone else has done? Good point. Well, I guess it's then really there's that point. also that issue of like your values coming into it too, where you're like, how important is it that a modern, let's say Christian contemporary reader knows that there's a difference between a heave offering and a wave offering? Like how important is it? Can I just translate it as offering and that'll be okay? It's like such decisions you have to make. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, unlike with the King James where it said four times they call it a heave offering. A few times they call it an oblation offering, which I think we did see once and were confused by. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the time it's just offering. So they were making those choices. It's just like, well, uh, of course, that's also assuming it's like one translator doing this. And it's actually probably probably multiple with many different values and decisions and choices. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, in reading about this, too, I got some stuff going forward that I don't think will actually see in the text of the Bible, but some disagreements about the lineage of the priests. Huh. Essentially, huh. some people saying the priests can only be descendants of Aaron. Really? And That's other, it? And other people saying, no, it's everyone who's of the lineage of Levi, who was... Yeah, because I thought it was the Levites yeah. originally. Yeah, so there's a disagreement. Is it all Levites can become priests or only the descendants of Aaron? Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Controversy. Controversy. Wow. And I will probably won't see that in the text of the Bible, but if you read into like how some books say one things and others say other things, apparently there's some hot goss to be had. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that was fun. Yes. We will see you all next week. Leave your comments and let us know if there's any stupid mistakes that we made about all oh. of this. <laughs> Indeed. All right. See you next week.